Pull up a chair and tell me your memory. Why does it matter to you? I want to hear your story, your point of view. podcast that features folks from all walks of life telling us one true childhood event and how that event, that moment, that experience has impacted who they are today. I'm your host, Jay Rehack, and like you, I've had my share of childhood experiences, some of them quite painful and some quite beautiful. But I'd like to think that everything that's ever happened to me has made me a better person. Now that might not be true, but that's what I'd like to think. Tell Me What Happened is sponsored by Sidelining Publishing, publishers of quality books, including Susan Salador's classic, I've Got Peace in My Fingers, and One Little Act of Kindness. Both of them are available wherever quality books are sold. All right. Today I have as my guest a very special person, a person I've known since the moment she was born, one of my favorite people in the entire world, Hannah Rehack. Hannah is a comedian, a podcaster, and a writer from Chicago, and she's also my daughter. Welcome to the show, Hannah Rehack. Hi, Dad. Hello. Hannah, I won't call you Bud, which is my you can. nickname for you. All right, Hannah, are you ready to tell your story? Yeah. All right, I'm going to get out of the way. And at the end, I'm going to ask you absolutely one question. And that one question is this. How do you think what you're telling me or what you told me has impacted who you are as an adult? So I'm going to mute myself. Take it away, Hannah Rehack. So I was thinking really hard about what story I should tell because you actually know most of my stories, even my fairly traumatic or upsetting ones or, you know, some of the good ones too. But this is a story that I've never told because it's one that I like barely count as a story. So I hope I don't break your form right now by by giving you the details I remember. But I have this memory that I thought I would share, which is that I went to sleepaway summer camp two summers of my life. The first time for a week and the second time for two weeks. So the first summer is the summer during which this story takes place. And it's kind of a classic tale of making fast and intense friendships, as is the case for so many people who go to summer camp. You know, you get thrown into this really intense dynamic and it becomes your whole life. And I've always been somebody who's pretty prone to that kind of lifestyle. Like I really enjoy whatever uh, theater productions where your cast becomes your family or again, like summer camp where suddenly that's your whole life. I think there are some people who don't like that kind of thing, but I've always really liked it. And this is one of my first memories of that kind of situation where it's like, we're all in a cabin, you meet these new people and they become your best friends for what I now realize was only like five days because it's summer camp. So it's not even a full week. And while I was there, I think I was around the age of 11. I think, I think it was around my, you know, not quite teen years that I went to this summer camp called Camp McLean. And I met this girl in my cabin and I don't remember her name, which is why I was like, is this even a story? And I was like, okay, no, but the the details that matter, I remember, but let's call her Amanda. And while I was there for that week, I just remember her becoming like 
my best and dearest friend, uh, which is funny to think about now because, again, it was only five days. Um, But she was really funny and interesting. And I'd gone to summer camp with a friend of mine named Sarah, who you you know, Dad. So I already had a buddy, but I love making new friends. And I just remember that being a dynamic that I was there with a good friend, but I was also making this new friend. And we just, again, hit it off, I think, because I thought she was funny and smart. And the reason this is a story at all, rather than just an anecdote of, okay, you made a friend at summer camp, is that she was Mormon. And I famously, uh, you raised your children interfaith. I grew up interfaith. And I think that preteens, it's like the first, what do I want to say? I think summer camp is one of those first experiences for some kids, myself included, where like you have to present yourself to strangers without your family or any community. Like you you decide what you're going to share because there's no shared context. So it's not like going back to your school, going back to an art class, whatever. So I just remember it being front and center that this girl was a Mormon and she was somewhat evangelical in a way that sort of revealed itself in my head late in the game where it was, oh no, my best friend is proselytizing to me when I'm sure it was only like the second day or something. But we talked about religion and I just have these vague memories of us getting into almost political discussions. Again, it's like we didn't really have the language for it. We were 11, but we were talking about God and heaven and hell and what it meant that I had a Jewish mom. I remember that being hard for her to wrap her head around and just this early confrontation of, oh, we really like each other, but she definitely didn't have a way to understand me. And I was, I think, more familiar with the idea that she was a religious person because I grew up around plenty of people who were only raised in one faith tradition. But I think I confounded her, but she really liked me. But we got into a discussion. I don't know when in the week, I'm going to say midweek where we were talking about gay people. (laughs) And I just remember using that phrase, gay people. And she suggested that they go to hell. And it was really upsetting to me because I was thankfully not raised with that belief um, in any way. And it was really jarring to me that my new friend, who I thought was really cool, believed that some people would go to hell. And I'm a queer person who came out, so to speak, at the age of 22, 21, 22. So it would be like another 10 years before I started owning that part of myself, uh, I guess, openly and formally. But I always had a sense that I could be queer. And I would use the word I remember at the time, like lesbian, like I I would have moments of being like, am I a lesbian? And I remember saying that to my sister Hope and her being like, well, if you are, you are, and it's okay. And we all love you and it's fine. And I feel so grateful for that, that that was the response to that question. But I remember talking to this friend of mine and that being sort of the inner monologue of, oh no, what if I am gay and she finds out and she thinks I'm going to hell, but I don't think I'm going to hell. But I did feel sad thinking that she maybe thought that about me. And anyway, it became this wedge in our newfound best friendship over the course of just a couple of days. But we talked a lot about it where I I remember just talking a lot with her of like, I don't think that it's a sin to love people you love. And that's not my experience. And I think it blew her head off that I had parents who didn't think that way. I think it was sort of radical for her. And she was really kind and loving in her processing with me about this. It was almost like I'm putting my adult lens on it now already. But 
in my memory of it, she didn't want to think people went to hell. That was the feeling I got from her, but it was so ingrained in her already at this young age. And we just had thoughtful conversations about it where it wasn't about, I was not going to change my mind about it, but I did feel her desire to like ask me questions as almost as if, what does it feel like to live not thinking that people go to hell for loving people of the same gender? And the irony of that being, um, and I'm not trying to jump the gun of the second question of this podcast, but the irony of that being that I didn't know until my adulthood that it's kind of a stereotype for queer female friendships, that queer women get into fast and close friendships, get into friendships very quickly, and that that become kind of codependent really quickly. And so it's almost like the irony that I was having this sort of not quite romantic, but in some ways romantic, fast, intense friendship with this woman or this young girl when I was a young girl that had all the makings of like an early queer dynamic. But what we were sort of the intensity of the relationship led to a a place where we could talk specifically about gay and lesbian people, which is, I'm sure, the extent to what our language, which I'm sure is like the language we were using, pretty simple language, like gay people and lesbians. So anyway, the the story is really that we, you know, again, it's like not quite a story, but it it is this experience and this like moment and this person who kind of like lives in my head. I think because I, in whatever way it's possible to love somebody that quickly when you don't know them, I feel like I loved her. Like I fell in love with her during that week and then was sort of heartbroken by realizing we didn't share values and then had to like say goodbye to her and and we promised to keep in touch and we didn't. But I almost feel like the fulfillment of that promise is that I I think about her often, often enough that, you know, again, it, I'm it's almost 20 years later and I don't remember her name. I don't remember that many specifics about anything, but I remember those conversations and they mattered and her, like I can, I can see her face and that's almost enough. I hope at least for this podcast that it's, that it's a story. It feels like a story that again, lives in me. So that's the the marking the makings of a story that I wanted to share with you I wish I remembered her name but we'll call again we'll just say that's the story of Amanda in my life all right well I do kind of wish that somehow you'd stayed in touch or whatever and you had some follow-up but you don't but that's all right and I hope wherever Amanda is or whatever her name is she's out there and she's happy that's the most important thing and I hope she doesn't think people are going to hell but that's for another uh that's not for this podcast. So <laughs> my my question to you is how do you think that 11-year-old discussion mm-hmm. you had with this Mormon who basically implied that anybody who was gay was going to hell or maybe even explicitly stated it. Mm-hmm. And then now many years later you living a life that involves a queer lifestyle, etc. How do you think that's impacted who you are today? You said she's rattled around in your head still. So mm-hmm. how do you think it's impacted your life today? Well, this is where I hope I justify this being the story. Because I was like, I have other stories that have beginning, middles, and ends. But this is the thing where when I was brainstorming what to share on this podcast, I'm like, I think it was pretty formative and in a lot of ways. And that it was this like early experience of explaining my values separate from the values handed to me from my parents. Like I had to justify them on my own, even though I was probably still parroting you you and mom in some ways. It felt for me very like I could choose to not say that these are my values. I could choose to be like, yeah, gay people go to hell. 
but it was sort of that self-discovery moment of when left on my own at summer camp, meeting a new person, if they say something I don't agree with, I am somebody who will tell them I don't agree with them and I'll stand up for what I believe in and I'll stay strong in that. And I think that was really formative for me because that's something I like about myself and I think has been true for a long time. But but I think it gave me a sense of confidence. Like I can do that. I can explain why I believe what I believe. And I hold that skill set close to my heart that I'm somebody who like can justify and explain what I believe and why I believe it. And the fact that that's been true since I was 11 or maybe earlier is something I, yeah, I feel some like pride in and also gratitude for, like gratitude that I was taught to be like that. And then I think it's stayed with me because I feel like as I've thought about it, the older I've gotten, I think it's stayed with me because as an adult looking at that story, I think my big takeaway is that like, I really believe people are born wanting to love and accept everybody around them. And my the thing I remember is her seeming really confused. And I felt really not confused. I felt very, maybe confused about who I was, but I didn't feel confused about the morality around loving people. And I just remember feeling her confusion. And so again, so as an adult looking back on that, I have a real belief that like children want to love and accept the people around them. And they're trained into not living like that. And I hope to God she's not like a hateful homophobe now. But if she is, she didn't start out that way. She started out as a kid who was really trying to make sense of what she'd learned in light of the perhaps more easily digestible information, which is, of course, people should be able to love who they love. So I feel like I try to carry that with me when I encounter adults who are hateful or prejudice hateful and prejudiced and narrow-minded I try to remember that that's not the way the world has to be because children actually want to be raised I think to love expansively and I think the third thing that I carry with me or the, the way it sort of stayed with me is that it's helped me make sense of my own relationship to queerness by being able to sort of plot these moments in my life where I've had fast um, and intense relationships with women. And there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes with queerness, I think, especially if it's something you come into, quote unquote, later in life, which is to say, like, I was 22 and that that felt late for me as somebody who thought I like really knew myself really well. It's been helpful to be able to like go back in my own personal history and be like, hey, you're not an imposter. This has always been true that you like love women or love across gender or have intense relationships that are almost romantic or are explicitly romantic with people of all genders. So, so I think it's been personally helpful for my own like narrative of self. And then it's also just helped me, I think, stay optimistic about the way the world could be if we just let kids love people the way they want to love people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, I think you know me well enough to know that I, I send a, a short prayer out to Amanda, wherever she is, that she's not in conflict, that she's been able to work whatever out, whatever out she needs to work out. And uh, I think that you're amazing in your ability to look forward and look backwards and look, you know, into the present. And so you've articulated it quite well, I think. And I want to thank you for being on the show because uh, I know it's uh, a long time in coming to get my yeah. famous podcaster, comedian daughter on the show. Yeah. 
thanks for having me on the show. And you can cut this if you want, but I also like, yeah, it's not even for the podcast necessarily, but I really feel like immense gratitude that I didn't have to be confused about the endless possibilities of love as a kid. Because when I think back about her, not to reiterate, again, it's just me to you, but, or the podcast, but like, I wasn't ever confused about that. And that's a real gift that non-homophobic parents can give their children where it was kind of like well whoever I am I do think that like love doesn't really have limits in that way and that's something that's like not given to every child so thank you for having me on the podcast and also thanks for keeping me from the pain and confusion of that yeah well I think I speak for all parents when I say that we try not to screw up our kids but we do but we try our best not to and in our case your mother's in my case we try to uh, let you know that we love you no matter what and we think that loving other people is a great thing regardless of whatever I mean you know gender or other issues Uh, so I'm glad so far you've been open and receptive to all people I think it makes a lot of sense and um, I'm just hopeful that you know uh, you continue to be open to people and loving to people and the people are loving to you too i don't i don't like the idea of people walking around pointing fingers at you or anybody saying you're going to hell this or that it bothers me when i think about yeah when that. i go to hell it's not gonna be for that <laughs> i don't know i don't know what <laughs> yeah, i'd like to think that there's i mean this is way <laughs> off the subject now but i've got this hypothesis that God is somehow, if there's a divine, that it's a loving uh, God. And if that's the case, then anybody who's using him, him or her or them in any other way is just off the track, you know, just, just missed the point. Yeah. But that's just me. Uh, what do I know? I don't know any more than anybody else does to be truthful, but it makes for a heck of a lot easier life when you think that at the end of it all, it's a loving God versus a a God that damns people for left or right or for anything, because regardless, my friend, whoever's listening or whatever else, if it's not a loving God, we're all in a little bit of trouble. If, it is a, if it's a loving God, we gotta, we gotta, we're doing all right. I'm, I'm talking about everybody's. <laughs> but anyway, I don't want to get into my whole, uh, you know, I could have been a minister type of thing. I want to be a minister, but that's, that's the next a whole podcast. different. That's the next podcast. So thank you for coming on the show, Hannah. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Sidelining Publishing. So until next time, this is Jay Reak asking you all to please stay safe out there and try not to hurt anybody. 